Welcome to the Disney at Work podcast, bringing magical ideas to improve your world from the happiest place on earth. Your host is J. Jeff Kober, author, speaker, and consultant to organizations around the globe that look to bring best of Disney ideas to their workplace. Today, Jeff and I are going to discuss book ending the experience. What we're going to look at is we're going to talk about how do you make sure that before a product is seen that the right experience is created. We'll talk about how the Disney parks do this both in the United States as well as in one of the Tokyo theme parks at Tokyo Disney Resort. Before we start that discussion, I want to bring in the man behind the curtain, Jeff Kober. Welcome, Jeff. Do not pay attention to the man behind the curtain. It is good to uh, hear from you again, David. It's good to be on this podcast. We're sorry we don't do enough of these. We keep trying to repent and do better. And we hope in the days and weeks to come, there will be more podcasts. And and it's so funny because here we are trying to have a podcast. We haven't had one in a while. And what are we going to talk about? We're going to talk about everything except the park experience. So we're going to talk about what happens before. We'll talk a little bit about what happens afterwards, but we're not really talking about the parks. And so that probably sounds like the most boring uh, kind of uh, podcast you could have. But if you hang with us, I think you'll see that um, it's kind of, there's uh, there's some, some really interesting insights and uh, there's uh, some really good take-home souvenirs that you can bring to your own business and to your own organization. And I think there's no better place to... Uh, to uh, to begin this conversation than with Disneyland on opening day. Uh, you have to remember that this was referred to as Black Sunday. There were uh, counterfeit tickets. So there was this incredible, uh, huge grouping of people uh, that were gathered to get into the parks and they were having plumbing problems and the asphalt hadn't been laid and union issues and all those kinds of things. And the challenge of putting on a a big uh, telecast, a live television telecast. But all this was happening. I mean, the, the problem actually began before you got to the turnstiles because there were so many people coming in off of uh, Harbor Boulevard and into Disneyland and the crowding. And this was before things like let's Let's segment the different parking lot sections and put a name to them and number them. There was no organization. It was like going to your grocery store. You just found your parking space and it was all sorts of mayhem. In fact, the crowds um, uh, <laughs> the crowds were so huge. When Roy Disney got there, he was astounded by the crowds and some of the workers came to him and said, the lines are so huge and people are waiting to go to the bathroom so bad that they're going in the parking lot. He said, he said, God bless them. Let them pee. You know, he was so thrilled that actually somebody came on opening day. That is probably not a Roy Disney quote you're going to find on a plaque somewhere that you can buy inside the theme parks. You know what? Actually, yes, that is true. It is. In, I believe that is from his uh, autobiography, but, um, or, or not autobiography, but his biography by Bob Thomas. But that's the kind of, I mean, they're just, they're, it was all they could do to open up the park. Tomorrowland was more like balloons and pennants. And the thought of even before you get in the park was really not paid attention to. 
Uh, back in the early days, the fencing leading into the park was cyclone. You know, the awful uh, kind of diamond-shaped cyclone fencing you see um, in, in, in places. And, and, uh, and it really was not an attractive place to be. Uh, they probably didn't have restrooms outside the park. They probably didn't have much of any services outside the park other than the, the ticket. Uh, booths and the actual turnstiles themselves. Um, eventually, over time, they created a whole system around the arrival experience. They created um, a, a way to create a procession of cars into the parking lot. So they would park them row by row, area by area. They would give you a little ticket to help you remember where you had parked back then. Uh, they introduce the infamous um, parking lot tram. And, and for those of you who go so far back, you may remember that the first thrill ride at Disneyland was not the Mighty Matterhorn. It was the tram ride outside the parking lot. I remember there was a thrill because there were no ends to the, um, to the row of seats. In fact, the one going to the Disneyland Hotel actually had you facing out of the tram rather than sitting in rows. I just think was, uh, the fact that now people are, and you see people confused all the time for trying to figure out how to get into the parking lot tram, you know, the idea that you push the, uh, the push the bar up in order to open the door and so forth. But I'm telling you back in, in the day, there was no door going in and there was barely a lip on the side and uh, it was a thrill ride holding on to your hats and glasses as you took the turn in the parking lot. Well, and in, in Walt Disney World and the Magic Kingdom, and we'll talk about that parking experience next, but those doors have actually only been on for, what, five or six years? Uh, they yeah. did not have doors on those on those trams up until fairly recently either. Now, they were still seated in a, in a, in a style of, of rows like they are now, but even that is a fairly new experience or a, a fairly new addition. No, you're absolutely right. That, that is a fairly new um, concept that has been added in just the last several years. So, so the idea that we're going to organize people as they actually arrive into the park, as they park their uh, car, as they get onto a tram, we bring the tram up to the front. The, the one other thing I want to mention um, about Disneyland that I think is important in those early days that is uh, a big part of my memory there's a there's a uh um theater architect uh by the name of charles lee and he actually designed many of the the great theaters that you find in the los angeles area and one of my former clients was just off of broadway and, and you could still see these theaters uh some of which that he designed and he had this expression he said the show starts on the sidewalk now, what's meant by that is you would have these glowing neon marquees with lots of ping pong, uh, uh, <laughs> ping pong lights, uh, you know, all kind of going in different directions to kind of attract beautiful marquees to get you into the uh, theater. At Disney, the expression really is the show begins in the parking lot. But the metaphor, and we can talk about this on another day, but the metaphor of going to... Disneyland and the other uh, Disney parks, particularly the Magic Kingdom style parks, is that you're actually like going into a theater. 
And so one of the first things you see as you arrive at a theater are marquee signs that give you um, notice of movies to come. Well, one of the first things that Disney did was create attraction posters that were uh, posted both before the uh, ticket booths and then after, as you got into past the turnstiles, they lined up along the front of where the Mickey uh, floral portrait was. These attraction posters were intended to get you excited about the experience as you went in. And, uh, and I have such great memories of those attraction posters, some of which I've actually, I have four that formally hang in my home. And I have the attraction poster calendar that hangs in my office. I love the attraction posters. They get you excited about going to the parks. And I think that's an interesting metaphor. What is it that's getting people excited about your products and services as they arrive or before they arrive into your store or into your operation, your restaurant, whatever it may be, what's getting them excited? What's giving uh, them attention? Well, and I honestly think, you know, if we were to take this outside of a theme park context to help people understand what this means in, in other areas as well and how you can apply these, I think that some other companies do this really well now in with the internet being so popular in terms of advertising of future announcements being leaked, right? Do you remember the, I mean, of course, you remember the days of Kmart and the blue light specials, right? And that was just in the middle of nowhere, the blue light would go on and it, it flocked to where these deals are. But now you're starting to get rumors that new iPhones might be released or there's going to be an announcement sometime soon. And so people start to get excited about those things or there are already whispers of what kind of deals Amazon might have on Black Friday. And so getting people excited to talk about those things, what are you doing now? If you're somebody that likes Black Friday deals, you are starting to search a lot more frequently. Well, let me look. Let me, and you're visiting Amazon all the time to see when announcements are made. The principle is very similar. It may not be a theme park, but before you actually start even engaging with their product, let's try to get you ready. And what's interesting about that is that they learned their lessons, right? And so when they went to build Disney 2.0, the Magic Kingdom in Orlando, they obviously uh, had a lot more of, a, of, a, of a, a lot more space to play with. And why don't you talk a little bit about what kind of things they did when they had a second shot at building a theme park in Orlando? Yeah, the, I w yes, let's do that. Um, before you get to that, let me just say and underscore what you just said. Anticipation matters. Getting, building that anticipation is critical to the guest experience. And as a kid, it would be a competition between my brother and I to see who could spot the Matterhorn first as you were coming up the freeway. Never mind that we were looking for that Matterhorn like back in Riverside. I mean, we were like another hour and a half away, but we had our eyes peeled for that Matterhorn. It was part of the anticipation. Now you come to Walt Disney World, and I love to see the anticipation of people's faces and it happens in one of two places if you go down to the river dock uh, to get on one of the um, the boats that carry you over to um, to the Magic Kingdom uh, you can get a glimpse of Cinderella Castle um, out in the distance it's so huge you can see it from there and it's very anticipatory if you go straight to the monorails you don't see it until after you clear the contemporary and you head into the Magic Kingdom on that on that rail. And it is always fun to see 
moms and dads pointing to their kids. There's Space Mountain. There's the train station. There's Cinderella Castle. They're all so excited that anticipation. Um, now, when Walt Disney World opened, the lesson learned was that there was not enough space in California to build uh, build on and particularly take advantage of having resort hotels and recreation and so forth. So, whereas Disneyland was known as the happiest place on earth, they distinguished Walt Disney World as the vacation kingdom of the world. And they made clear that this was not just a place to come for a day, but this was a place to come and stay for several days, for a week or longer, because they wanted people to, to be a part of the property. So the way they designed the Magic Kingdom is they wanted everybody to see that there are clearly hotels. In fact, they don't only wanted them to see the hotels, they created a hotel that actually the monorail would go right through. And that created the anticipation for people to say, oh, even if they hadn't known that you could stay there, they, they now have this big message that, hey, next time we come to the Magic Kingdom, to Walt Disney World, let's stay on property. Let's stay at that Contemporary Resort Hotel. And so they created their whole resort experience to support the park experience. And so in order to create that message, they did what I would refer to as uh, an entire experience prior to entering the parks, known as the Transportation Ticket Center, the TTC. What they established was all of the amenities that you had in front of Disneyland, but they pushed them all the way back across the lagoon. And the thought, in, especially I think in Roy, Disney mind, uh, Roy Disney's mind, was that um, let's separate the grief of parting ways with your money at the ticket booth, then put them on the monorail boat, get them across to the entrance, and by the time they get to the turnstile, they've long forgotten about how much they spent uh, you know, out of their wallet. They're ready to go to the magic. So separating the wallet from the magic is the whole concept behind the TTC as well as trying to educate uh, people about the resort experience and get them anticipating staying on property. The problem with that idea is that it is so expensive to run everybody on a monorail or on a boat before you get to Walt Disney World. And, and that was uh, clearly not a smart idea. And even though they ran a monorail out to Epcot, um, you don't see this kind of design that you see with the original uh, Magic Kingdom at Walt Disney World. So they learned an important lesson that that was really too expensive, but the concepts and the ideas are still important that you want to uh, get people um, uh, anticipating the experience, you want to separate the money from the experience, and you want to educate them about the total offering. Well, and I, I, I think it's also important to note here too, Jeff, that this isn't something that uh, Disney as a company just kind of does and leaves, right? As there are constantly uh, discussions and decisions being made of how to adjust that experience 
that you start with. And so recently, actually, uh, do you want to share with what they've done uh, maybe the past, what has it been, eight months or so uh, when they have moved the security to make sure that that impacts that entrance experience as little as possible? Yeah, that was a little bit over a year ago um, that they actually had the security in front of the Magic Kingdom. And so you got off the boat, you got off the monorail, and then you went through the security process. And we aren't going to talk a whole lot about security today, but one of the challenges with that was that it created a bottleneck unlike any other trying to get into that park. Now, security is still very much in front of the other three parks, um, but they have since removed that security layer and put it to the transportation ticket center, uh, actually even before you get to the ticket booths and the transportation uh, aspects of that experience. And then they've also done the same thing by moving it um, prior to boarding the monorails and the boats over at the uh, resort hotels that, that feed right directly into the Magic Kingdom. And that has, that has, again, separated the anxiety from the experience. And it's been a smart, smart direction for them to go. Disneyland, by the way, has done the same thing. It had its security just before you got into the promenade leading directly into Disneyland, the Disney California Adventure. They have since moved the majority of that way back um, to the parking lot garage. And I can tell you, it works so much better over in the parking lot garage than it did over in downtown Disney in that area with separated uh, experiences for uh, downtown Disney and for the Disneyland Hotel. It's just a whole better experience to separate that anxiety uh, from the experience you want guests to have. Well, and I think it's important too that, you know, you mentioned the change at the Magic Kingdom and, and moving the security out. It was, it, they worked so hard to separate the frustration of all that paying the money and, and, and to manage that experience for guests arriving at the Magic Kingdom that I got to tell you, and for folks of listening that have never been there when this was the case, it was kind of stressful when you were getting off of a full monorail, walking down that monorail ramp in front of the Magic Kingdom and realizing just seeing hordes of people that just didn't seem like they were moving because you had the hordes of people feeding from the ferry boat and then on the other side you had them feeding in from the buses and then the monorail and all three of those groups meeting together and there were only maybe what 15 to 20 security check tables and so all of those people having to condense and go through the same 10 15 20 tables it was stressful not only for adults but imagine a family that had a couple of kids with them and knew that they were at the magic kingdom and they had to then be as you said bottlenecked at these security standpoints it is just so much less of a stressful experience. You don't feel like you have to rush, rush, rush when you get down there. And there's still going to be a lot of people down there, but it's not, once you get there, you, all you have to do is do your ticket, you know, tap your magic band, tap your ticket, and you go in. And it just is so much of a more, it sounds silly, but just that change, I think, makes entering the Magic Kingdom so much more relaxing and enjoyable because you get through all of that mess well before you approach the front of the park. And it's, it's a simple decision, but that's one of the lessons here is a simple decision like that, a simple change can make uh, a big impact on the experience of your customer. You know, so a long line in front of all that can be stressful. Um, a long line that is stretched out and just looks like one long snake is even more stressful. A mob scene is the absolute worst. And that's what you had at the front of the Magic Kingdom. Now there's a lot more room 
at the TTC. People can form lines. It's They can spread out. They can add, open a lot more tables for moving security. They're handling the resort guests elsewhere, so it minimizes the number of people going in one space. There, there are so many more advantages to what they've done. They need to add some shade. Hello. But, um, but other than that, well, actually, they have shade there. They took the shade structures from the um, parking lot trams, but now the parking lot trams need some shade structure when you're waiting for them. But all in all, that has been an improvement. And again, the souvenir take home is separate the anxiety from the experience. Anything that's frustrating. Now, let's back this experience up even further. Suppose the Magic Kingdom opens at 9 a.m. in the morning. They don't open up the um, the uh, uh, the parking lot at 9 a.m. The parking lot's been open two hours prior, um, and 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 guests actually guests could park at, at the at the uh, uh, at the Magic Kingdom parking lot even earlier than that because of the way um, crowds come through uh, that uh, that area where you pay, but. But notwithstanding, they organize and start trams about two hours prior to park opening. And then they open up that TTC um, an hour to an hour and a half before opening, meaning monorails and boats are pushing out. And then they're opening up the Magic Kingdom 30 minutes to an hour prior to opening. So they are doing all these things so that by the time you the park opens, you're not in this, again, mob scene of all these people trying to get in, but already the processes are well underway for moving people in an organized, smooth fashion into the parking lot. Moving to the Magic Kingdom parking lot, which is over 15,000 uh, spaces now. It used to be around, I think, 14, I want to say, but they added some as they got rid of the speedway. But, uh, but going into there... They have the ability during um, uh, peak times to actually park two rows of cars at any given moment, um, which is a blessing because that can be a bottleneck trying to just get cars parked. So when they are in a busy time period, they can park two rows at a time in the same lot and assign them and they assign them into a row that is marked they assign them into an area and you have the friend side and the villain side of the Disney um, parking, Magic Kingdom parking lot, which is again, probably a downside of, the, of their parking lot. It is so huge that it's really divided into two sections with this kind of swamp uh, wetland area in the middle of that parking lot. But notwithstanding, uh, they section each of these parking lot areas out. They line you up for a trams um, they have a little cone they put in the front to show you where the front of the tram is going to arrive so you know where to go. And as you board onto the tram, they tell you not once, not twice, but three times between the moment you get on that tram and the time you get off the tram. Remember, you parked in um, Peter Pan, rows 6465. Remember, 6465 of Peter Pan, don't forget you're in 64 and 65 of Peter Pan. And so they're able to remind you as you get off that tram. Now, I, I, I mention all this because we're going to come back uh, to the 
and reverse all of that to the end of the day. Imagine you're coming out of the Magic Kingdom and you get to the Transportation Ticket Center and you forgot where you parked your car. Even though they've said it so many times, you completely have forgotten where you parked your car. And you don't even know if you're in the friends or the villains section. It's that vague to you. You were so focused on so many things, getting so many things ready, you just don't have any memory of that. So you talk to the tram folks, the parking lot folks, and you say, I know this probably never happened to you before, but I have forgotten where I parked my car. <laughs> and they'll say, well, what about what time did you get here? Uh, just, yeah, like 10.30, 10.40, somewhere in that time period. Oh, well, we were parking uh, row 64, 65 of Peter Pan. So just go on out there to there, and if you can't find it still, um, flag down one of our security folks and we'll help you further. How did they know that you were parked in row 64, 65 of Peter Pan? Because one of the things that happens is that the parking tram driver has this little map of the entire parking lot, lane by lane by lane. And as guests are boarding onto the tram, they are making note of which rows they are parking in the parking lot. At the end of the day, they make copies of this, hand it out to all the parking lot folks, so that, and there's always good two, three dozen people who are going to forget where they park their cars. And by knowing that they park this section at this time, this section at that time, they're able to help you. Uh, added to that, they have other security and other people to kind of help you if your car uh, isn't starting after you get back into it. If you can't get into the car, the joke we used to tell at, um, at uh, Disney uh, is that we, uh, we really didn't do the background check on the people who, who were smart about how to get you into your car because we didn't want to know how they developed that, that, that uh, skill. Um, but uh, that's just a joke. But, but notwithstanding, they're very capable of getting you into your car and, uh, and helping you out if your battery's dead and things of that nature. And so there's a lot of services that are provided. Um, even long before you even get to the front gate of the park, there are these kinds of services that, that are offered uh, to guests. And a lot of guests just don't take it for granted. They don't realize that all these things uh, are, are a part of the total experience because you can be pretty frustrated by the time you get into a park based on all the crazy things that can happen beforehand. So the, the souvenir for folks is to walk your customer experience backward. And, and think about, okay, what are all the trigger points where we could have a, a negative experience with our guests, just trying to get them into our operation, into our business, into our restaurant, whatever it might be, and address those before they get in so that they can have a positive experience um, once, they, once they enter. So moving from now, that is Magic Kingdom in, in Florida, it's probably good to move on to... Uh, one of my favorite resorts, and I think for a lot of Disney fans, kind of the pinnacle of the Disney park experience, which is the Tokyo Disney Resort. 
specifically, and uh, we both have a map of this park open, and I need a, a bib for my drool because uh, I just want to go back just looking at this small screenshot you sent of of the of the map. <laughs> but uh, the the folks in Tokyo know how to how to operate a system, and they know how to do things with precision and with consistency. And the ex- entrance experience there. Uh, is probably like no other in terms of how they provide what you need before you get in. So can you share a bit, Jeff, about what kind of things they do even before you tap your ticket uh, at the at Tokyo Disneyland in, in Tokyo? Yeah, um, well, there is a monorail system that um, is part of the Tokyo Disney Resort that gets you quickly between some of the hotels and then the two major parks. But unlike... There's a couple of things going differently there. First of all, a vast majority of people do not drive to Tokyo Disney. They take the train. So an important point in building Tokyo Disney was eventually getting a train station put in. By the way, that same condition was put in when they first opened uh, Disneyland Paris and in Shanghai Disney and in Hong Kong. A train station is probably more important than the parking lot experience. Now, they have a parking lot. In fact, that parking lot is actually being changed over to being a uh, parking lot structure um, because they're adding on to um, both Tokyo Disneyland and Tokyo Disney Sea in some amazing ways. Um, they are making some additions, and, and people are, there are less people really parking cars. I think they're, they really do depend on a greater number of people. Because when I looked over the parking lot, I often find rows, the park, the park is incredibly busy and the parking lot looks quite empty, um, simply because that's how people travel there. But, um, but they, but from the train station, there's a walkway that takes you directly to, um, the, uh, the front of the, uh, Tokyo Disneyland Resort and, and then a monorail station that takes you on around to Tokyo Disney Sea. So they're not so dependent on the monorail systems to get guests where they need to be. Um, but I I have to say, and by the way, this, this came out about a year ago. Um, one of the things that Japanese cast members do, this was back in 2015, is they actually, you know, walking around, they have security people walking around making sure everything's safe in the parking lot while you're in the park. Uh, they actually notice when tires are um, are low on air, and they actually leave you a little piece of paper that shows you uh, that you your tires seem to be going flat. We suggest that you check them. Uh, also, if there seems to be liquids that are leaking, they suggest that you check your vehicle. Um, and so they're actually uh, it's an amazing thing. Uh, you would never see that here in in uh, Florida or California, but they even think to leave you a courtesy note to let you know, hey, uh, we think you're tired, maybe maybe a little low. Um, then you get to the, the entrance and th- uh, we're going to put into our show notes uh, the, a picture of the guidebook map. And it's, it's hilarious because they actually magnify the front of the park. There are so many services that are rendered in the front of uh, the park. Guest relations has a has a space inside, but it also has 
a space outside. There's group sales windows. There is what's called the Eastgate guest reception where they provide general information, lost and found, um, help out with the annual passes. But there are mailboxes, there are storage lockers, there are public telephones, there's a picnic area, there is a place for lost children, there is um, photo garden, there is the pet club where you keep your pets. Um, many of these things are uh, banks, banking services. Many of these things, remember, are available at all Disney parks. I ha have to say one of the things that really surprises me, uh, two things. There's an actual refreshment, established refreshment stand called Carriage House Refreshments, which is open. Um, providing uh, refreshments to guests as they go. They also have what's called a photo garden. And I don't know if you saw this. You'd have to kind of be walking through the parking lot to see this, David, because it's on the far right side. But there's a dedicated space that groups, and it's near the buses, where the buses get off, uh, because there are a lot of guests that come by bus. And, um, and there is a dedicated section there for, uh, for entire groups to line up for a beautiful photo, um, group photo, before they even go into the park, before they even line up in front of the Cinderella Castle, they have a dedicated space to do a group photo there. So it's just a great example of how much thinking and how much services are um, put in play to provide for a great guest experience before you've even stepped into uh, through the turnstiles and beyond into World Bazaar and, and other places. Well, and again, Jeff said that he will put this uh, this this zoom in scan of the front of this, so so you folks can can see this map. I counted just in this zoom in of the of the front area, main entrance, World Bazaar is kind of their their entrance, Main Street type area. But even before you get into any of that, I see nine restrooms, nine, nine restrooms, right, nine. I mean that it's it's absolutely crazy, and so then I, I didn't count all of them up, but all of the different services that they offer just there. I mean, there's there's no way that you're going to get in without something you need or without having an opportunity. Uh, you know, there's a different disability access. There is one, two, three, uh, like six different opportunities to get lockers if you were to need to get lockers. Uh, you know, because if you're coming from the train, maybe it's a day trip and you want to leave a, a suitcase or, or a bag or something like that. Uh, because you do see around Tokyo Disney Resort, you see a lot of people that do come on the train that are wheeling a little um, a little suitcase with them. And even at the monorail stations, there's really large uh, locker areas underneath each of the, the monorail stations so that you can be able to put your stuff there too. So just you can tell a lot of thought has gone through to make it an easy transition so you can go in the park and once you're in the park then you can have the fun that you want to have yeah no it's you're you're right you know there's there is restrooms there are restrooms on the right of the entrance restrooms on the left of the entrance there's restrooms in the picnic area there's restrooms in the bus area it's such a contrast to that first story i was telling you about roy disney had no restroom in the front of disneyland they've learned over time how to make the guest experience they want to make sure and by the way one of the things, if you've never been to Tokyo Disneyland or Tokyo Disney Sea, you're going to be shocked if you get there any less than an hour beforehand because the lines are huge going into the park. And, um, and yet, I have to say, as, 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 um, as much anxiety as that can produce, their ability to move those lines quickly and get them into the park and then dissipate it amongst the, the size of the parks... It, it, it really just, it goes so quickly. 
um, afterwards. And they're so organized about how to get and and the people are respectful of, of it. And they sit on their little mats, you know, as they line up and get ready. And it's all very organized, all very orchestrated to get everybody in at the very beginning of the day. Now, uh, construction, of course, at Tokyo Disney, the parking lot garage I mentioned when you were there just a couple of minutes, uh, a couple of months ago with your groups that you were bringing in, uh, that you saw some of that uh, uh, construction beginning for the parking lot. Yeah, actually, the construction for the parking lot was beginning. You could tell they were starting to do, I mean, this is when you first started to get hints of maybe where the addition would go because of starting to uh, to clear some land in the parking lot. But the, the biggest thing that was noticeable at Tokyo Disneyland was them basically changing the turnstiles and the ticket points uh, to not have to be putting in a paper ticket, but starting to move towards somewhat of a not a magic band style necessarily but the ability to just tap in uh, and so we saw them I mean from the monorail I may mean, probably even had some pictures if I dug well enough of them just ripping down some of the old uh, overhangs that they had had for some of the ticket centers to walk through because they're trying to make it feel a lot more open right if you go to a Disney theme park right now once you actually go to put in your ticket in in Orlando I'm speaking of it feels very open because there's not the turnstile with the bars you still have to click through and they're basically moving to a system like that at Tokyo Disneyland and so there is a lot of construction so right now it's a little bit messy uh, but they're they're working fast so I, I can't imagine it, it'll be long before they start to roll those things out. Disney's Hollywood Studios is also of course going through a massive uh, renovation with the addition of Toy Story Land this year and the much heralded Star Wars land next year uh, to get ready for that. They have put the parking lot under a lot of change. I, I think it's going to be difficult to appreciate all the changes that are coming to their parking lot, all to create a better guest experience and guest flow as you're moving through um, it. The parking lot bus area has been moved out um, much further to the left. My understanding is, is that the the street in front is really only going to be accepting buses coming in um, uh, as you as you come into the park. There has been huge um, construction on um, right in front of the ESPN entrance, um, where they have put in this major interchange. Uh, with roads going up and over each other to lead into a brand new entrance into Disney's Hollywood Studios. So the old entrance that you had off of World Drive um, that said Disney's Hollywood Studios and had pictures of major attractions, again, that anticipatory thing, that all is going away because uh, that soon will be the entrance really toward um, uh, the hotel, the Star Wars hotel that's being built. All the guests will be filed in through this newer entrance as they come off of I-4 and the other roads and freeways, 192. They'll be filing in through this major new entrance that's uh, being created. Um, right now, it is crazy walking. Uh, the tram doesn't even stop at the tram station anymore. That's being moved around uh, to a different location. My guess is they're probably going to move the security back a little Maybe, maybe not, but it's going to, they're all redoing that whole experience. The parking lot has been 
enormously uh, made larger. The employee cast area has been moved way off to the side toward the uh, toward the back of uh, the Star Tours land, and a new cast services building has been put over there. That's a whole other uh, podcast we could do is the cast services building and all the things that are provided to employees before they get to their workstations every day. Um, but uh, Disney, and I'm telling you, Disney is spending tens of millions of dollars to make all of these changes to essentially the parking lot. This doesn't include the billion dollars plus on the uh, uh, Star Wars edition. It doesn't include the um, millions and millions that were spent on Toy Story Land or is going on to the new Mickey ride at the at the Chinese theater. This is just to the parking lot. Tens of millions of dollars just to orchestrate a better guest flow, guest experience, provide for more cars. I don't know if you remember, but um, uh, it was a huge problem when Disney's uh, Disney MGM Studios opened in its first day. They would open up early for the guests <laughs> in order to get people, you know, get enough people into the park. And by the time they got to the stated park opening time, the park was already full. And so uh, that was a challenge because the park was so small uh, back in those days. And and uh, they had a lot of challenges with that. But, um, but that's all you know, being thought through as they get ready for this uh, reawakening of Disney's Hollywood Studios. And it's going to be going to be pretty exciting. If we have some photos, we'll put some of that into our show notes. Uh, we'll show you a couple other things uh, from uh, the guest experience at Tokyo and at the Magic Kingdom in our show notes. But we wanted to give you a couple of key souvenirs to take away because none of you have a theme park uh, and maybe none of you have a parking lot or uh, a welcoming experience quite as large, but you want to look at your customer experience bookends. What happens before they arrive? What happens after they leave? Those parts matter because especially at the leave part, they that's that may be the memory they have. Of all that you have spent on them, the memory they may have is, is what they remember after they've left uh, the doors of your establishment. Anticipation matters. Getting people excited about your products and services even before they arrive. The show starts on the sidewalk. How do you create a strong, uh, welcoming experience? Walk your customer experience backward. Look at those trigger points where uh, a bad customer experience could occur. Um, and then, you know, find opportunities to improve that overall service experience. Any other thoughts, David? No, I think this has been good. I think this has been a good insight to because a lot of times when people think about just vacationing at a Disney theme park, they think about what do I do once I get inside? Where do I go first? What ride to go on? Right, and and it's important to know that to be a quality organization and one that is held up uh, uh, amongst the best of them. Even if you are a small organization, thinking about these things and what your customers experience and how to meet their needs even before they walk into your doors, uh, I, I think is a very important lesson to learn. So we hope that you have enjoyed the things we have talked about. If you are interested uh, in in contacting Jeff to uh, get him the opportunity uh, to come to work with your business in some way, uh, this is what he does. Uh, do you want to share a little bit, Jeff, uh, about that work very briefly, how they can contact you? Yeah, no, thank you. Thank you for saying that because what we're able to do is take these uh, ideas 
uh, from the house of the mouse and move them into your organiza organization or business. And so through Disney at Work and my sister company, uh, that kind of is the umbrella to that, Performance Journeys, uh, come visit performancejourneys.com. Uh, look at other things we offer here at disneyatwork.com. You'll see that we provide programs, workshops, seminars. We have a new set of online tools that we are creating that people can um, see these same examples and and adapt them, not just from Disney, but from other world-class organizations. And uh, although we make sure we have a heavy dose of Disney in there as well, but, uh, but they're all great examples and we help you make the connections. Getting into your business, we spend a lot of time face-to-face -face with businesses, walking their own organization, looking at things externally and internally and helping them create uh, a better uh, uh, performance experience. So please reach out to us at performancejourneys.com or at disneyatwork.com. Uh, we're happy to hear from you. Thank you for joining us this week. As always, you can find any of our old podcast episodes on iTunes uh, or by visiting disneyatwork.com. And if you have any questions, we'd love to hear from you. You can email at podcast at disneyatwork.com. And if you have any comments you'd like to leave, if you've enjoyed what you've heard, whether on this or another episode, we always would love those reviews on iTunes so that people looking for a business-related uh, and Disney-centric uh, podcast, we hope that you'll be able to leave a review on iTunes to be able to spread the word. Thank you very much, and we hope you'll join us next time.